0: I'm
1: not sure. Are you ready? I am. Okay. I I'm ready.
0: Are you ready? Okay.
1: So I don't know, (laughs) we're going. Welcome to the Mad River Anthology. I'm John Brugaletta.
2: And I'm Rachel Wheeler.
1: Today's program is Versus His and Hers, Part 2, or Versus Hers and His. (laughs) Rachel and I... uh, thought we would do a program of poems by male and female poets, pairs of poems, one by a man, the other by a woman, uh, pretty much on the same subject, seeing how different and how similar the poems are coming from either sex.
2: Loneliness is our next theme.
1: Okay. This is by Conrad Aiken. CHANCE MEETINGS In the mazes of loitering people, the watchful and furtive, the shadows of tree trunks and shadows of leaves, in the drowse of the sunlight among the low voices, I suddenly face you. Your dark eyes return for a space from her who was with you. They shine into mine with a sunlit desire. They say, and I love you. What star do you live on? They smile and then darken. And silent, I answer, you too. I have known you. I love you. And the shadows of tree trunks and the shadows of leaves interlace with low voices and footsteps and sunlight to divide us forever.
0: Okay.
2: Very sober, rather negative ending, I think, there. But, but that's just my first reaction to it. Yeah. As opposed to the one I'm looking at, this is by Adrian Rich called Song. You're wondering if I'm lonely. Okay, then yes, I'm lonely as a plane rides lonely and level on its radio beam, aiming across the Rockies for the blue, strong aisles of an airfield on the ocean. You want to ask, am I lonely? Well, of course, lonely as a woman driving across country day after day, leaving behind, mile after mile, little towns she might have stopped and lived and died in, lonely. If I'm lonely, it must be the loneliness of waking first, of breathing Dawn's first cold breath on the city, of being the one awake in a house wrapped in sleep. If I'm lonely, it's with the rowboat ice fast on the shore in the last red light of the year that knows what it is, that knows it's neither ice nor mud nor winter light, but wood with a gift for burning.
1: How do you understand that last line? She's wood with a gift for burning. Mm-hmm. Is that positive or negative? Is she is she making light or is she dying?
2: I've always interpreted that as a very positive image at the end, as if she does as if her whole life is an incandescent uh, burning, and it may be seen as destructive on one hand, but um, that gift of burning, gift for burning, indicates that. She's the wood, and once she reach reaches the inspiration or whatever is going to spark the the flame, then it's a potentiality that's still to occur, and once it does, it will be a good thing. Hmm. I remember discovering this poem when I was in college and feeling very lonely, and I, I remember it spoke to me with this, this sense of, you know, you're in college and you're not sure what's going on with your life, but it's nice to know that you are who you are, and you know mm. the potential to do something um, is still there, and that's that's how I see that at the end. I th- I think maybe this is the first pairing that does indicate maybe a gender difference, just oh, yeah? because she does refer to the woman in here as an image, and I almost wonder whether a, a man could have written this poem. What do you think?
1: I don't see why not.
2: You don't?
0: No.
1: I think a man could easily imagine himself as a rowboat ice fest on the shore
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the winter time you know stuck immovable against his will mm-hmm. uh,
2: but do you th- think it's okay for a man to to write about loneliness this way and in, in kind of a um I, 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 she's assuming that there's a rea- a reader or another who is asking her or the speaker um, whether she's lonely. And I don't think that's something we ask of men. I think that's if right. there are, are lone women, that's a more normal thing somehow.
1: Well, in support of that view, uh, your view, I think if we look at the at the Aiken poem that we paired with it as a masculine poem about loneliness, he never mentions the word. Right. The and in fact it is so subtle that I'm wondering if he's really is if he really is lonely, the speaker of the poem is. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that in order for the two people, the he and the woman in the poem who lock eyes for a second, mm-hmm. in order for him to respond to her in that way, he must have been lonely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What but else could could have caused that.
2: Yeah, but it's very it's very hidden. Mm-hmm. You have to really search for it. Yes, it so is. So maybe it, it's a it's um, there's an obstacle toward expressing that. Yeah, it's not really acceptable.
1: Well, yeah, I I think it's interesting the way he in the first stanza of three and a half lines, there are they're in a park, but all of the images are darkness. Shadows of tree trunks, shadows of leaves, drowse of the sunlight among low voices. And then suddenly he faces her and she looks at him and they shine into mine with a sunlit desire. Now we're in the light images in the Mm -hmm. second stanza. They say, and I love you, what star do you live on? That again is a light image. Mm Smile, smile. They smile and then darken. And then we go into that last four, third stanza where um, we're back to the images of darkness mostly. Shadows of tree trunks, shadows of leaves, low voices, footsteps, but then sunlight to divide us forever. I think that must be a memory
0: hmm.
1: of this moment because he's, he's clearly remembered it mm-hmm. if it happened. Mm-hmm. I think it did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds like it did. So, actually, I think his poem's more positive than hers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Well, you may be right, but I think her, her loneliness has developed into something like depression by the end of the poem. Because I, I read A Gift for Burning as an ironic use of the word gift, hmm. um, it's a gift for dying. Like Keats, she's half in love with death.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, it could be. I I read her answers to Are You Asking If I'm Lonely and her interpretations of what lonely, uh, loneliness is and saying, yes, I am this, I am this, I am this, as being kind of ironic statements of, about what loneliness could be and how um, it's not necessarily... Um, a negative thing you know she
0: at
1: least it's not calm I mean it's not uncommon is mm-hmm. it yeah mm-hmm. well even though we differ on our interpretations <laughs> of these two I think we agree that it's a masculine feminine
0: pair
2: it's at least with these yeah yeah it seems that way so a common theme in poetry is love and so going from loneliness to love I have a a sonnet by Anna St. Vincent Malay. Love is not all. It is not meat, nor drink, nor slumber, nor a roof against the rain, nor yet a floating spar to men that sink and rise and sink and rise and sink again. Love cannot fill the thickened lung with breath, nor clean the blood, nor set the fractured bone. Yet many a man is making friends with death, even as I speak, for lack of love alone. It well may be that in a difficult hour, pinned down by pain and moaning for release, or nagged by want past resolution's power, I might be driven to sell your love for peace or trade the memory of this night for food. It well may be. I do not think I would.
1: Okay. That's a very romantic poem. Here is one that I guess we could call romantic um, by Theodore Rethke. I Knew a Woman. I knew a woman lovely in her bones. When small birds sighed, she would sigh back at them. Ah, when she moved, she moved more ways than one. The shapes a bright container can contain. Of her choice virtues, only gods should speak, or English poets who grew up on Greek. I'd have them sing in chorus cheek to cheek. How well her wishes went. She stroked my chin. She taught me turn and counter-turn and stand. She taught me touch that undulant white skin. I nibbled meekly from her proffered hand. She was the sickle, I, poor I, the rake, coming behind her for her pretty sake. But what prodigious mowing did we make? Love likes a gander and adores a goose. Her full lips pursed the errant note to seize. She played it quick, she played it light and loose. My eyes, they dazzled at her flowing knees. Her several parts could keep us pure repose or one hip quiver with a mobile nose. She moved in circles, and those circles moved. Let seed be grass, and grass turn into hay. I'm martyr to emotion, not my own. What's freedom for? To know eternity. I swear she cast a shadow white as stone. But who would count eternity in days? These old bones live to learn her wanton ways. I measure time by how a body sways. If love to her is romantic, love to him is erotic.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that occurred to me, and also that his view, which may be masculine, is to look outward upon the subject and describe it, whereas she is thinking about what, what emotions love is creating in herself. It's yeah. independent of, I mean, it's caused by the subject, but, or the object, but not necessarily descriptive of it. What occupies her is her own reaction to it. Is that a masculine yeah. feminine thing, do you think?
1: Well, uh, if we went on, I think it, it's become clearer that it is because he loves erotically in the moment. There's no thought for the future with him, in contrast with her saying, I would not trade the memory of this night for food. Mm -hmm. The memory of it, you know. Mm -hmm. She remembers the night, not anything about his body, not anything about what happened. Now, it's night, so uh, I suppose, Uh, she hints at sex maybe but even that could have been theater and dinner Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but with him it's it's absolutely inescapably sexual Mm -hmm. so um he's overawed by her attractiveness and she's overawed by the romantic qualities of Mm -hmm. the, the evening they spent together i can't think of anything more Contrasting male and female in that. Oh, <laughs>
2: really? You know. yeah. yeah. I like that in her poem. She refers to a man, though, um, as perhaps, you know, create. You know, um, committing suicide while the poem is being read, and there's. That's an interesting idea to draw into it that a man would be driven that far. Because of lack of love and how important love is. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas or, or she says at the beginning, you know, very ironically, that it's not all these other things that it could be that are essential to our well being, meat and drink and all mm-hmm. these good things, but mm-hmm. um, but still a man, not a woman. That's, I think that's interesting that she chose that. Might have just been for the scansion, but I think it's more than that. Hmm. Hmm. Do you?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I hadn't noticed that, but I have to agree with it. I think also that while he loves in the moment, she has a clear vision of what the future can bring, mm-hmm. even the bad stuff, you mm-hmm. know, the worst possible stuff. And she, she thinks that she will continue remembering that night mm-hmm. with fondness Whereas uh, he's he, he's not thinking about the future. He's not thinking about anything that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. He's not going to give it time to go wrong because mm-hmm. he's probably be on to the next woman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> but boy, some of his lines are just amazing. Uh, I swear she cast a shadow white as stone. And I was I was amazed by that when I read it as an undergraduate. It just Boggled the cockles of my heart. Okay, what about Gratitude? Gratitude. Um, Imperative by Scott Cairns. The thing to remember is how tentative all of this really is. You could wake up dead. Or the woman you love could decide you're ugly. Maybe she'll finally give up trying to ignore the way... You floss your teeth as you watch television. All I'm saying is, there are no sure things here. I mean, you'll probably wake up alive, and she'll probably keep putting off any actual decision about your looks. Could be she'll be glad your teeth are so clean. The morning could be full of all the love and kindness you need. Just don't go thinking you deserve any of it. (laughs)
2: and the one that we've chosen to, to put with that is a poem by Jane Kenyon called Otherwise I got out of bed on two strong legs it might have been otherwise I ate cereal sweet milk ripe flawless peach it might have been otherwise I took the dog uphill to the birch wood all morning I did the work I love At noon, I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day, I know, it will be otherwise.
1: How did you happen to pick that poem by Jane Kenyon, Rachel?
2: well it it um it's one of the ones um that I really appreciate in her vo- uh of her work it's um I, a lot of poem poets write about gratitude and and the the things they're grateful for in life make good subjects for poems of course um but in here it's very descriptive about her life, just the very simple things about eating cereal, about walking the dog um, very simple and just that, that repetitious phrase that comes in, the reminder, and that's something I think that we just don't pay attention to enough, I guess, the constant reminder that we don't necessarily deserve, well, in Scott Cairn's poem, actually, that comes out more, we don't deserve what we have. And here, she's not necessarily talking about that and how merciful the good things in our lives are but she is reminding herself that it won't always be like this, and um, it's kind of a poignant thing to interject into a poem that is about all these good things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like the, the contrast between her gratitude, even though she knows it's, it's going to end one day, mm-hmm. her gratitude for it, and her appreciation of, as you say, those ordinary, everyday acts of life. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Cairns, Scott Cairns, he's talking about things that are disgusting. Um, You're ugly, or you floss your teeth as you watch television. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Or waking
2: up dead the next morning. Or waking up
1: (laughs) dead, yeah, which is maybe it wasn't a cliche when he wrote it but I think it was and so it kind of pained me to read that line but he resurrects it a little bit when he says you'll probably wake up alive Mm -hmm. later but um, his poem seems so negative about life whereas hers seems so positive do you agree
2: I I guess that's a possibility um but he he does say near the end, you know, that the morning might be, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, adequate with all the love and kindness in it that you need right now. And yeah, but it, that's that. all.
1: That's the best it gets with Cairns, whereas with with Kenyon, Jane Kenyon, it's she treasures these ordinary things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, um, and she's going to enjoy them until they're otherwise, and but he's, he's reminding himself that he'll take what he can get also I think and, and yeah. just the reminder to himself that you don't deserve it just be grateful <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so there are similarities I guess with the reminders to themselves
1: well I like hers a lot better than his <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is a pair about myth, and uh, the myth in this case is the return of Odysseus to his home from uh, the Trojan War, that long 10-year journey, and what happens when he gets home. So do you want to start with his wife, Penelope?
2: Okay. Penelope. He came back, and I hardly knew him. His eyes were strange and wild, as if he'd seen heaven and hell. And his heart, too, was distant, as if the ocean had filled it like a sponge, and he'd never had time in all his wanderings to wring it out again. Was that to fall to me? I couldn't even bring myself to touch him, as we stood over the bodies of my suitors, downed in sudden wrath. An admirable wrath I must own. But still, I could not bring myself to touch him until much, much later. Then I stood and waited and listened to him panting at my side, his weapon hanging from his hand. What did the gods expect of me, to reward, to applaud, to scold, stand appalled? I was simply his own, had always been. He'd only had to reclaim his possession, such violence never necessary. Nevertheless, I had to admire myself for having been worth so many slain.
1: Now, that was in the voice of Penelope herself. The the one about Odysseus is not in his voice. It's not a dramatic monologue. It's about him. Return of the Rightful Ruler. Like every king who leaves his realm for years, many of his subjects, no matter how kindly he had treated them, begin to live only for the appetites of the present. Food, sex... political power. It was fortunate then that Odysseus was a clever man, a man of many choices, returning home to Ithaca in so deep a disguise that even he was not sure of the shore on which he was washed up by the Mediterranean's wind and waves. But his wisdom alerted him, and he went, disguised as a weakling beggar, to the hut of his own swineherd, One of the few holdouts, loyal to his master's principles of hospitality, despite his ignorance. The goatherd proved his opposite, a man who loved inflicting pain. These are the ways of a kingdom left unruled by wisdom. And then the great bow, left unstrung for so long. The question was... Can you string and shoot my bow? And when the no- time came, the great bow in the king's hands cut a swath through the rapacious and malevolent men who wanted his bride. She, who still dwelled in the edifice of his making, wished to make her theirs, and through her to rule and have the knees of many crook to their frown. The floor was blood enough almost for waves, and the ignorant old woman let out a cry of victory, but he quieted her. For these had been his people, evil though they had become, ruining themselves, and even in their evil he loved them and mourned. Then the confrontation with his bride now become rigid in her loyalty to him, so rigid that even he, now before her, did not excite her immediate love. The proof of his identity was simple. Was he the one who laid the foundations of their marriage bed, rooted, as it turned out to be, in the world? He was. And with that, they spent the coming night in storytelling and love, a perfect match so near the ideal that it seems now and then the human race dreams almost accurately of even the most secret of things only whispered and muttered by oracles. Well, that's a different set of poems because you and I wrote those poems, (laughs) right?
2: Exactly, and we kind of knew what we were doing, so at least in mine, I purposely pulled out maybe a, a... a cliched woman's response um, to to what happened in that myth. What a, a woman would not be necessarily thinking about the connection, the a returned husband necessarily, but admiring herself for what had happened, and that it was intentional, at least on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, but in yours, you chose not to write in Odysseus's voice, mm-hmm. so. so it, but it's so I don't know how the gender necessarily enters into that one. The narrator isn't either necessarily.
1: Well, maybe maybe mine is more didactic than mm-hmm. yours. Uh, you were You were depicting a woman purposely, a woman's reaction. And mm-hmm. I was thinking in terms of the the many parallels that there are between Odysseus's life and return to his kingdom and the life and expected return of Christ. Mm -hmm. There are so many of those that that I felt, you know, a poem maybe ought to be written about it. Also, I didn't want to compete with Alfred Lord Tennyson (laughs) who has already written a dramatic monologue in the voice of Odysseus called Ulysses. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't imagine myself coming up to the standard of that poem it's mm. so well done so maybe uh maybe the masculinity comes out in my competitive spirit maybe yeah.
0: <laughs> it does that's good.
2: <laughs> you've been listening to the mad river anthology the engineer was Tim Ayers with assistance from Nicole Reed I'm Rachel Wheeler
1: and I'm John brugoletta If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089.
2: On our blog, an online archive of past programs can be found at madriveranthology.wordpress.com.
1: The show is also available in iTunes. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m and is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California.